We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what's going on, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. We are live on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Oregon Football Max Torres is where you can find us. And uh, we are here for another big episode. We're going to be previewing Oregon versus Washington State week four matchup on the Palouse. You guys know the big details, but uh, we got a whole lot of details to go over. And um, to go over those details and preview this game, I got my guy, Andrew Quinn. Uh, weekend sports anchor with Krem2 News out in Spokane, Washington. He was on with us to preview the Eastern Washington game, but uh, he's just so great that we had to have him back on for another episode. How are we doing, Andrew? Thanks for being here. Thanks, Max. I'm happy to be back. Uh, hopefully this this weekend we can get a, a better game from our uh, teams out here in the Inland Northwest. Uh, I definitely think this one will be much more competitive than the Eastern Washington game and uh, excited to, to talk about it and get ready for Saturday. Absolutely. I know that uh, some of uh, some of my listeners were saying after the Eastern Washington preview that we did, like, oh, it looks like Andrew's kind of pulling for the upset or thinks that that might happen. <laughs> but uh, I wasn't I, for one, wasn't expecting it to be that lopsided of a game. But, um, you know, I think that uh, Oregon passed a I don't know if I'd call it a test, but, you know, there were definitely some areas that they could have been, uh, you know, got, for lack of a better word, against Eastern Washington. So I think that, you know, they got to come away pleased with that result. Um, so, yeah, I, excited to have you back on the show, man. Uh, for you guys that are watching live on YouTube, go ahead and hop in the live chat. Let us know how you're feeling about this matchup between Oregon and Washington State. Throw some questions in there, and uh, we'll see if we can uh, do our best to answer them in uh, this episode of the podcast. So we're going to kind of start big picture here. What's on the line in number 15 Oregon against Washington State? Oregon heading into this game with a 2-1 record after a blowout loss to Georgia, blowout win over Eastern Washington, and then got a big commanding win over the BYU Cougars at home at Autzen and Eugene. And then Washington State rolling in 3-0 with a perfect record, uh, hanging their hat on that big win over Wisconsin. Um, Andrew, what do you think is on the line for the Cougs and just kind of in general in this game? Well, I think there's a lot on the line for the Cougs in this game. I mean, you guys, I'm sure on Twitter, have seen the stat. They're the first team since the beginning of the FBS 
that has a true road game win against the top 20 team that's still undefeated that is not ranked coming into this game. So uh, I think WSU feels disrespected by that. Uh, I know they're getting votes, but I think they uh, they deserve to be ranked in the top 25 from what we've seen so far. And this is a big, big, big game for them. I mean, obviously not just for Pac-12 implications, but for the rest of their season. I mean, they need to win games like this against a big Pac-12 foe in Oregon. And to be honest, I mean, WSU has seemed to give Oregon some trouble in the last few years. So I definitely think that this is a game that both teams really want to win. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if Oregon can kind of shake off those uh, losses they've had against WSU in recent years. Yeah, Washington State has kind of been that that thorn in Oregon's side for, for a number of years, uh, certainly in, in the Pac-12 North. We know how much trouble uh, Mike Leach and the air raid offense gave Oregon when, when he was there on the Palouse. Um, now Oregon having to prepare for what I believe they're calling the coup grade offense. Uh, sure, we're going to get more into that when we're going to be talking about Cameron Ward later in this uh, later in this episode. But for Oregon, like I said, two and one record. I think you you feel confident going into this game after you know passing that test against BYU as well as they did. You know, you could say with flying colors, although I think there's some areas of their defense that they need to improve. The offense is looking real solid. Uh, but for Dan Landing, it kind of feels like this is his first true road test. I, that game against Georgia was a neutral site, but for all intents and purposes, a, a road game. But uh, this is going to be his first taste of, of Pac-12 football, uh, heading out to the Palouse. And um, I think one thing that we're going to learn in this game, Andrew, and kind of ties into what's on the line is we're going to learn what parts of this Oregon team travel. Oregon has not at least in recent seasons, been a very strong team on the road. Uh, you can point to that win at Ohio State as an obvious counterpoint to that example, but typically they don't play their best. They play their best football at Autzen Stadium, and and you expect that for a lot of teams, right? That's only natural, but I feel like Oregon has been especially vulnerable on the road. Uh, they had that game against uh, Washington last year. That was a crazy, rainy, cold game, and then they – uh, almost let UCLA back in that game at, at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. So I think we're going to figure out what parts of this Oregon team can travel and play away from home. And for me, I feel like that look, I, I'm looking at the run game first. And then I'm also looking to see if that defense can travel because, uh, you know, the defense isn't going to have to deal with the, you know, the crazy crowd and, you know, maybe some other aspects that might trip them up in this one. For sure. And the, the environment at Martin stadium will be, will be pretty crazy. I was there. My sophomore year at Gonzaga, I went to go see Oregon play Washington State uh, at Martin Stadium. Justin Herbert was the quarterback back then, and I was expecting the Ducks to absolutely shred Washington State in that game, and they got smoked. They got flat-out smoked in that game. The crowd was into it, several false starts. They put pressure on Justin Herbert. These are the kind of things that you got to deal with in true road games. You guys have seen it over the years. And it's something you're going to have to deal with on Saturday. Obviously, you look back at the Idaho and the Colorado State games. Wasn't a packed house because, you know, those games are really kind of meaningless because everyone pretty much expected WSU to win. Saturday will not be like that. Saturday will be a packed house. Should be a packed student section. They're all going to be wearing camo for the duck hunt. 
Um, so I, I think it'll be a, a raucous environment, something that Oregon's going to have to deal with, and they're going to have to try and limit those pre-snap penalties that can that can really deter your drives uh, on offense. Yeah, and Oregon players and coaches have been talking about that the entire week. That they, they know what they're they know what to expect. At least they think they know what to expect for the most part. Um, Oregon's got a uh, you know a lot of veterans on both sides of the ball, so kind of a benefit that comes with that is a lot of these guys have traveled to Washington State and, and they know kind of what challenges Martin Stadium pr- presents them. Um, you would look at the quarterback position with Bo Nix and the rest of that offense needing to be in sync. Um, they've been playing pretty clean football throughout the year so far. Uh, Oregon's offensive line is, is definitely established themselves as one of the best groups in the country, uh, not allowing a sack through three games. I think they're one of only four teams in the country that that have accomplished that so far. Um, but they're going to be tested with that Washington State defense and that uh, environment at Martin Stadium. You know, Andrew, for someone who maybe doesn't know about Martin Stadium as much as uh, you do, um, I've only been there once and it was actually like for a game. And that was in that game day game in 2018. I don't know if, was that the game that you were talking about as well? Well, I was talking about two, two years before that. Um, But obviously the game day game was another one where, I mean, the place was just unruly that day. I mean, they'd been waiting for game day to come to Pullman for so long and Oregon just really walked into a buzzsaw in that game. Yeah, so th- that game, I think that shocked a lot of people because I believe the, the week prior, Oregon just knocked off Washington uh, to kind of take back control of, of that rivalry. But if there's one thing I know from going to school at Gonzaga, living in the Pacific Northwest, the, the inland Northwest more specifically, is that they have a lot of really passionate fans. And, and there were multiple times when I was watching that game. Uh, I, was at, I was at that game as a fan. And I kind of found myself taken aback a bit, like, wow, this is this is rocking. Like, this is a lot louder than I think I would have expected and a lot louder than most people would would think um, because Pullman doesn't really strike you as a, a venue for big-time football. Um, we, we can talk about, you know, the recruiting challenges that, that come with being located in Pullman, but it just feels like this is a really underrated environment, and, and I think that, you know, we can both back that up firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. The Martin Stadium does get very, very loud. And obviously, it's not as big as the Wisconsin's or the Oregon's or some of these bigger schools that WSU has had to play in. But Martin Stadium, it does get very loud and the crowd gets into it. They love their Cougs and Pullman. And there's a lot of alumni that stay around the area and there's a lot of alumni with season tickets and they will make it a, a hassle for the Oregon offense to get their play calls in and to audible at the line. So obviously, just like any true road game, it's something you have to deal with. But for those of you who aren't uh, too familiar with Martin Stadium, I think you'll be a, a little bit surprised at the amount of noise that place can pack in on Saturday. Yeah, so I mean, Oregon fans know how loud Autzen can get, but uh... – Hopefully some of them get to, to make that trip to uh, to Martin Stadium, to Pullman. Uh, I know that's kind of something that I have on my bucket list, not Martin Stadium in particular, but just seeing some other Pac-12 stadiums. Uh, I've been to Martin Stadium and uh, I think it's Husky Stadium uh, in Seattle for, for last year's Oregon versus Washington game. Been to Stanford Cal, obviously Oregon, uh, went to the Rose Bowl, so I got, I got some good ones under my belt, but I want to make it out to Bryce Eccles in Salt Lake because I've heard that environment's insane. 
Colorado, they're not the best team, but I've heard a lot about Boulder just as a college town. So I think that's one of the, you know, one of the fun parts about covering college football is, is getting to travel throughout the country, throughout the conference and, and just see some of those new venues. Um, is there one that, uh, that you would say is your favorite in the Pac-12 that you've been able to go to, Andrew? Well, I mean, I, growing up in Southern California, going to the Coliseum uh, for a USC-UCLA game was a pretty rowdy environment. Um, but Pac-12 stadiums, like I've been to Corvallis, I've been to Autzen, uh, have been to the Coliseum, Martin Stadium. So there's a few. I still want to go to Stanford for a game. I think uh, the crowd there gets gets pretty rowdy. And uh, you mentioned Utah. I mean, you see it on TV. It looks pretty crazy down there. So definitely those two. But uh, seeing uh, Ohio State, Michigan in the shoe a few years ago was definitely uh, quite the experience. And that was definitely the best college football experience I've been a part of. So if you have the chance, if you haven't been, uh, the shoe for that game is unreal. So <laughs> there's there's a little uh, – pitch for anybody that's interested in, in big time college football, the shoe for the Ohio state Michigan game is another beast. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was at, I was at the shoe for the Oregon Ohio state game last year and what an experience that was, man. Um, I think it was weird though, because uh, I don't know if you saw the press area at all or like, you know, the, where it's at, but like it was all painted off with glass. So, you know, mm-hmm. all the fireworks and pregame stuff was going off and, and the, and the crowd was just kind of muted, but then we got to go down for uh we got to go down on the field level for, you know, the last five or so minutes of the game. And I mean, you just turn anywhere you look and it's a sea of red, uh, just deafening loud. It was a close game at that point, obviously. So that was easily the coolest football sports moment of my life. I would say being on the field for that win, a game that not many people gave Oregon a chance to win, but, uh, yeah, that, that's one of the coolest parts of college football is just getting to to explore and, and you know, soak in the different cultures and, and environments um, that I think, you know, can sometimes get lost, uh, you know, at the pro level. Um, so that's, you know, equally something that I also enjoy at the high school level. Yeah, I mean, th- that's that's one of the beauties of covering uh, college football. You get to travel to these different stadiums and it, I mean, the fans just get so rowdy. They love their school so much. And it's something that Jake Dickert has made mention of several times already this year. You know, coming into this season, Jake Dickert had a 3-3 and record as a head coach. So not many expected much maybe from this season from the Cougs, maybe six or seven wins. Um, they've come out and all they've done is, is shatter expectations so far. So I'm expecting a pretty much full Martin Stadium on Saturday and it, it's going to be loud and it's going to be a good time. So I'm excited to, to see it. I'm right there with you. Uh, are you going to make the trip for that one? I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be in studio cause we got three games this weekend. So I got to be watching three games at once. We've got Eastern Washington is playing Montana state. Idaho is taking on Northern Arizona and then obviously WSU and Oregon. So our, our, my sports director, Travis Green will be at that game and, I'll be trying to watch three games at once. I'll, I'll have to get the Octo box like uh, like my man Scott Hansen on Sunday. So it should be a, it should be a good time. But uh, I'm really excited for this game. I really am. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm not making the trip for this one either, but it's going to be a fun one to watch regardless. 
Um, let's switch gears now to, to talk a little bit more, maybe X's and O's, you know, talk some more football. I think one of the biggest storylines coming into this game, Andrew, and was one of my big takeaways really even after last week, Oregon's offense is fun to watch again, man. I mean, it has not been fun to watch the Oregon offense. I want to say for like the last four to five years. And, and when I say that, I don't want to say that they weren't good. Because there's obviously they were able to run the heck out of that ball, uh, maybe ran it too much at, at times. You know, when things got predictable, Mario Cristobal uh, loved his uh, his ground and pound, obviously. Um, and we're seeing some Miami fans get upset with that now, which I think is uh, I think uh, brings a little bit of joy to maybe some Oregon fans. Um, you know, seeing that over there in, in Coral Gables, but. Oregon's offense feels like it's firing on all cylinders. It seems like they've turned a totally new page after that blowout loss to Georgia. Bo Nix, five touchdowns in, in both uh, of the previous two games. Um, and he earned national honors after last week. So it seems like whether it's it's passing the ball, airing it out to some new weapons that are finally getting utilized or or pounding the rock with some, some new pieces in that backfield like Bucky Irving and, and Noah Whittington and even true freshman Jordan James is getting some snaps and some significant snaps at that. Um, Oregon's offense feels balanced. It feels uh, like there's variety, um, unpredictable maybe even at times, you know, a little bit of trickery we'll see hopefully. Um, but I think that's easily one of the biggest talking points going into this game especially when they're going to be facing a good defense. Um, and I think it just sets the stage for this to be a really fun game. Yeah, it certainly should be. And I mean, you go back to the Eastern Washington game and it was funny when we talked last or uh, two weeks ago, I, I said in the buildup to that game, I said, Eastern Washington's defense is prone to the big play and they couldn't tackle in week one. Well, this time it seemed like they were in better spacing, but they still couldn't tackle at all. So um, it was nice to see Oregon last week against BYU still be able to run the rock. With you mentioned Marquise, or, or you mentioned Marquise and Noah Whittington and these guys, and then Terrence Ferguson has been sensational the last two weeks. Uh, he's become a really good go-to target for Bo, and I've been very, very impressed with the Oregon offense, especially after what we saw Week One. And I know we've talked about it at length about how good Georgia was. And maybe that was just kind of a, maybe an apparition and, and not something to hang your hat on. So definitely much improved Oregon offense and uh, the WSU defense is in for some real trouble on Saturday. If they continue playing the way they have the last two weeks. Yeah. And, and another guy that I think has also been uh, deserving some credit in this offensive turnaround for Oregon is, is Terrence Ferguson. Four touchdowns so far through three games. Oregon's tight ends just really were not having that big of a role in the defense these past couple of years, um, which was really a shame because I feel like that was one of the calling cards for Joe Moorhead when he was at Penn State was how he was able to get some of those incredible tight ends involved like Mike Gusecki. Um, and I think a lot of Oregon fans were, were hoping to see some more of that in, in Eugene. Uh, but uh, after some some run heavy offenses, we we know for a fact that Terrence Ferguson, Maliki Matsavao, those guys know how to block. But it doesn't just stop at them. We're seeing guys that are finally back healthy: Cam McCormick, Patrick Herbert. Um, they're they're getting some um, they're getting some uh, some some run and some snaps. Cam McCormick got his first touchdown for for a while or since uh, his since his injury injury. Wow, I'm getting a little bit tripped up here. Got to slow down. But 
Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's nice and refreshing to see that the, the tight ends are, are playing a role. And, um, I think it's cool too, because Oregon lost a lot of talent at the skill position last year. Uh, you know, you're looking at Jalen red, Micah Pittman, uh, they were both gone. Devin Williams, no more CJ Verdell or Travis die, but it looks like they've kind of really bridged the gap and, uh, they haven't really missed a step. And I think they're kind of exceeding expectations right now. Yeah, and if last week is any indication, I, I think the offense has a ton of confidence, which I think they got in that Eastern Washington game, you know, coming off the tough loss. They really needed that game to kind of get back on track. And then you saw it last week. They were able to put together a great game. And we talked about it two weeks ago. What's the big thing that's going to keep this offense moving? Don't turn the ball over. When they don't turn the ball over, they're going to be tough to beat. And I think that's – just the same story for this week. If Bo Nix and those guys are able to hold on to the ball, don't give it away, there's there's no reason why they can't put up a, another solid performance this week. Yeah, and we, and we were talking off air. Uh, I just released my keys to the game story over on Ducks Digest. Give that a read if you haven't. And uh, it, it had to do with winning the turnover battle, being one of the three keys for this one. And I think a lot of that starts with Bo Nix taking care of the ball. And uh, with Oregon running the way that they have, maybe they you know don't need to worry too much about Bo Nix. They don't need him to do as much as maybe he has. Uh, and that was something that I've been talking about you know all throughout the offseason is that they, they didn't they don't need a superhero. They don't need a superstar performance from Bo Nix. They, they just they need to pound the rock because that's been their calling card. That's been the strength of their team. And if they can do that and do that early, it's going to go a long way, I think, in just helping him settle in, help the whole team settle in. Um, because we saw against BYU, Dan Lanning said it himself. There were times in that game where they kind of just went jumbo package. They knew they were running. BYU knew they were running. Everybody in Autzen knew they were running. And it's like, hey, come out and stop us. Yeah, uh, I think that's a big key to this game. I think that Oregon and those big offensive linemen trying to control the line of scrimmage is going to be a huge, huge key to this game. If Oregon can run the ball, WSU is in for a world of hurt this week. But the thing that this Cougar defense has been good at all season is stopping the run. And nobody has been able to run against them. They held Braylon Allen under 100 yards for the first time in a long time because Wisconsin just loves running the ball. You know, They still gave up 170 yards on the ground in that game, but I think people were expecting a lot more. And it's really crazy to think about because when you think about Washington State, nobody ever talks about the defense, right? Well, this year you need to talk about the defense because the defense is that good and that talented, and it starts up front for these guys. All right, well, we're going to get to the Washington State defense in just a second. Uh, there's a comment here I wanted to, to bring up, and then we'll talk about WSU's defense. Andrew says, can't wait to watch Bucky break bodies again. Irving runs like a wrecking ball of hate. Um, I think that's one of the things that's really stuck out to me so far from this offense in, in 2022 is, is that it seems like with each week, Bucky Irving keeps making his case that much stronger for, for RB1. And Oregon's running back room is, is totally loaded. We're still waiting to see if Byron Carwell is going to be available in this one. You know, Dan Lenning holding his cards close to the vest uh, on, on this, uh, you know, on the injury front saying yesterday on Wednesday uh, that both Byron Carwell and Justin Flo were, were practicing um, but he's not, he didn't want to talk about injuries. So 
we're going to see if Carwell is available to go. But but Bucky Irving spoke earlier this week about how he kind of just prides himself on, on not letting that first guy tackle and not letting the first defender bring him down. And there were multiple runs in that Washington or that BYU game where he just kind of looked like a pinball. And, and there were runs where he thought he was down behind the line for from a multiple yard loss. And then he was able to, you know, make some make some cuts and make some spins. And then the next thing you know, he's he's turning nothing into something. So that uh, that's a challenge that uh, Washington State's defense is going to have to be ready for is uh, making sure that you fly around the ball and you get him down uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Marquise Irving has, has been a, a tough guy to tackle so far. I think without Byron in the lineup, he he should he definitely should be RB1 for Oregon. I think he's proven in the last couple of weeks that he's capable of those duties. And just like you said, it's all about uh, flying to the ball, making tackles, and trying. And that's the big thing that we've been seeing all across college football is defenses need to be able to tackle. And, you know, it's week four now you know, getting towards the middle of the season. Now you should be, you should be pretty locked in on your tackling drills and, and be able to to take down some of these ball carriers. Obviously Bucky Irving is, is, is going to be tough to take down, but I think, uh, I think Washington state is, is going to be ready for, for him and for that tough physical Oregon run game. All right. Well, uh, in that case, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Thanks for the comment, Andrew. He's a, a big fan of the show and he, he always shows out. So I appreciate him stopping by the Washington state defense is a force in 2022 leading the pack 12 with, I believe it is 91 rushing yards a game. Um, and, and like you said, Andrew, earlier on in the show, when we think Cougs, we think Mike Leach, we think air raid, uh, we think pack 12 after dark, probably more than any other team in the conference but uh, just kind of give us the lowdown on, on what you've seen from the Washington State defense and, and what you think makes this group so special right now. Yeah, I, I think it, it started coming into this season. You know, you looked at the names that were still on this defense, and there's a lot of good players, good, solid players on this defense, and a lot of guys that are going to be playing at the next level. And it all begins with your two edge rushers, Brendan Jackson and Ron Stone Jr., those guys set the table for the entire defense. Ron Stone's a first-team All-Pac-12 guy. Brendan Jackson's a, an All-Pac-12 honorable mention guy. These guys get out to the quarterback. And uh, Oregon is going to have to get those big offensive linemen to try and contain those two guys. And it's a very veteran edge group that Washington State has. They do have a young guy in Ram Stevenson that they're very high on. But with Andrew Edson and Quinn Roth, backing up BJ and RJ, they have a very veteran edge group and those guys do enjoy getting after the quarterback and they enjoy wreaking havoc, you know, and it, it was the pressure on the quarterback that forced those Wisconsin turnovers. It was the pressure on the quarterback that forced Colorado state into a couple turnovers. And it all starts with those two guys. And then we also can't talk about this defense without talking about Dayon Henley. I mean, this guy has been sensational all season. I saw him in camp. He's obviously, he's a trans transferred in from, from Nevada and you see him right away. He's a big burly dude. He's a, a really strong, good build for a linebacker. And he has been terrific so far. He has four sacks. He's a forced fumble. He had the interception that ended the Idaho game. He, he really seems to be taking over a good leadership role on that defense. And he's a guy that hits hard, he flies to the ball, 
And you've mentioned it. Oregon's going to want to run the ball. Well, try running through Dayon Henley and see how that goes. And I'm, I'm really, really impressed with how he's played so far. He's got his other linebacker mate and Travion Brown, who's been a good tackler all season. And then the secondary has been pretty good as well. Shaw Smith Wade on one side has played very well. He has a couple interceptions this year. And on the other side is Derek Lankford. He's a definite NFL guy. He's been a, he's great size for a corner. I think he's six one. Um, these, these guys can play. These guys can ball. It's, it's not a walk in the park against the Washington State defense anymore. I know they led the Pac-12 in turnovers last year, but this year's defense is, is arguably even better than last year's. And that was a goal of theirs coming through fall camp. They talked about it relentlessly that we need to keep, we need to keep upgrading and keep improving on last year and force even more turnovers. And so far this year, uh, they have been uh, a force to be reckoned with. And you saw it in the Wisconsin game. Obviously, you saw it against two lesser opponents in Idaho and Colorado State. But uh, this is this is no no slouch of a defense. And or Oregon could could be in for some trouble if they're not able to establish the run in this game against Washington State, just because of how good they've been in past defense and overall have not allowed many rushing yards apart from the Wisconsin game where they did hold Braylon Allen under 100 yards. Yeah, so this Washington State defense, for them, it really starts up front. You talked about Brennan Jackson and Ron Stone. Got to give a shout-out to Ron Stone, a San Jose native, so always like to see people from my city stepping up. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think another notable thing here, Andrew, is that Oregon's been shuffling some pieces around their offensive line. Um, you know, one of their starters, I believe he's actually the right guard. Uh, Steven Jones has been a little bit banged up, wasn't available last week against BYU, was seen at the game on crutches and uh, using a scooter to get around. So it looks like his injury could be uh, a little bit more of a, of a long-term one. Dan Lanning, again, saying that he doesn't have too much of a direct timeline for for Steven Jones and his return. So we'll see if he's even available the rest of this season. I don't want to speculate too much on injuries. That's just kind of the information that we're working with, but Marcus Harper has uh, slid in to this offensive line rotation with Ryan Watt going over to right guard. He's been super versatile his entire college career with the Ducks. Uh, so Marcus Harper the second has been doing a tremendous job filling in there. Jackson Powers Johnson getting some good reps, uh, as well as Dawson Jaramillo. So Oregon's offensive line is definitely firing on all the cylinders, but they're definitely going to have some tough matchups against uh, those two edge rushers for the Cougs. And, uh, and then I think another thing we got to look out for is if they are trying to run the ball, how do they look when they look to get to that second level against guys like Dayon Henley? You know, are they able to get their hands on him and, and you know, be able to, to maneuver him the, the way that they want? Because he's not an easy guy to move, as you and I both know. Uh, I think when I was talking about him yesterday, it was like 6'2", 6'3", 236. So he's got that ideal linebacker frame that, that you want to see. Um but I think when you're looking at the back end of Washington State's defense, um, I, I want to say that's where they lost some of their production from a year ago. Maybe you can check me on that. Um, but I was just going to introduce the point that, uh, you know, Oregon's feeling confident about these skill guys. Troy Franklin looks like he's wide receiver one. He's been a favorite target for Bo Nix so far, uh, certainly last week with that 50-yard bomb against BYU. But then you have Terrence Ferguson and a couple other guys that are, uh, you know, Chase Coda. I think that uh, it's good for Oregon right now because they have those primary pass catchers, but they also have some guys that are able to chip in, uh, you know, when they need a big play from them. 
Yeah, I, and you mentioned the back end of this defense. I mean, we all saw Thursday night Jalen Watson's pick six against uh, your boy Justin Herbert that in that one. game against Kansas City for the Chargers. But um, this is an entirely new safety group apart from their kind of rover, their nickel guy, Armani Marsh. He's a Spokane guy. And the big thing about this new group is they hit and they hit hard. They have a redshirt freshman. He's number 25. His name's Jaden Hicks. And this guy will light you up. I saw it all camp long. He was hitting his own guys. And now you're seeing it in game. This guy is, is something to watch out for. He flies around the field. And, boy, he levels the boom. And Armani, for being – he's kind of undersized. I think he's only about 5'10". He can also level the boom a little bit for being a little guy. So – even though it's a, it's kind of a new back end there of that secondary uh, with Jordan Lee and with Jaden Hicks, uh, you know these guys have performed pretty well so far. Uh, the only time we saw this uh, secondary in a little bit of trouble was when Derek Langford got hurt in the Wisconsin game, and they brought in his backup Chris Jackson, and you saw Wisconsin start to pick on him a little bit. And that's when WSU started looking a little bit shaky there in the secondary. So trying to keep Derek Langford and Shaw Smith Wade healthy and on the field. And I would have a lot more confidence with those guys rather than the backups in the secondary. But as far as the deep secondary there with the safeties, I think Jaden and Jay Lee have both played very well so far. Armani Marsh is a veteran. He knows what he's doing back there. He made a huge fourth down play against Idaho where he ended up starting off in the box. And uh, when Giovanni McCoy came outside of the pocket, uh, Marsh was there to run him down. So I think, as you said, it's going to be very interesting to see these O-linemen for Oregon put a body on some of these guys on, on the Washington State defensive side. But uh, a big key for this game for Oregon is going to be ball security and making sure that uh, that these big boys on the Washington State defense don't don't jar that ball free. All right, so we got some good insight there from Andrew on some of the biggest names on Washington State's defense, uh, a Pac-12 leader through three games, uh, and you know a couple of different categories. Um, let's see. Uh, we wanted to take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast for those of you that are listening to us on audio. So don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon football versus Washington State preview talk with Andrew Quinn after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Doug's Dish Podcast. We are rocking and rolling on this Thursday, September 22nd. We're just two days away from Oregon versus Washington State. We're live on YouTube, youtube.com slash Oregon Football Max Taurus. If you guys are here tuned in, take a second out of your day and do me a favor, like the video and subscribe to the channel. But with that being said, we have to talk about another major storyline for Oregon heading into this game. The Ducks are going to need to slow down Washington State quarterback Cameron Ward, who has proven to be one of the most effective passers so far through three games this season. In the Pac-12, we all know the story with Cameron Ward, of course, hitting the portal and making his way west to uh, Pullman after coming from Incarnate Word. Has some consistency uh, from the personnel standpoint. Washington State's offensive coordinator, I believe his name is Eric Morris, comes over with Ward from Incarnate Word. Uh, as well as the wide receiver, I want to say Victor, I think. Hopefully, no, my Victor was here. No, no, no. Okay, he, he had a receiver. Um, this is why we have Andrew on the show, because he knows the team better than I do. Uh, but, um, yeah, man, suffice it to say, Oregon's going to have their work cut out going against uh, what's already proven to be a very electric quarterback and a pretty proven passer. Yeah, and – the the big key for Oregon is gonna is gonna be to put pressure on Cam because that's that's when Cam has had trouble. If he's able to sit there in that pocket, Cam has been lethal this year. I mean, he is dropping dimes. He has his two big play wide receivers on the outside, and Donovan Ollie and Dejon Stribling, and he has pretty much been automatic getting the ball to those guys when he hasn't been under pressure. But when he has been pressured, he has been susceptible. To making some mistakes you know he has thrown a few picks he's fumbled the ball a couple times so definitely would like to see Oregon uh put some pressure on Cam and see if he can kind of reverse that trend I mean we've, we've all seen him so far this year when he's able to just stand in the pocket and deliver how good he's been well now we need to see a little bit more consistency when he's on the run and when he's being pressured so that's that's one of my big keys heading into this week as well is trying to slow him down, and if Oregon can do that, they need to put pressure on him, and that's when they might be able to to force him into a few mistakes that he wouldn't normally make if he was just able to sit in the pocket. Yeah, and one thing I've noticed uh, that the players and coaches have talked about all week and that I've seen on film is, is that he does a really good job of getting the ball out quickly, and that's something that Oregon's had to go against from a defensive standpoint twice already this season with both Stetson Bennett and Gunnar Talkington at Eastern Washington being quick-release quarterbacks that 
just want to get the ball to their playmakers really quickly. Um, and, and with Ward, when you give him time to just sit back in the pocket, he's, he's not going to be afraid to take those deep shots down the field with some of those talented wide receivers that you mentioned, Andrew. Uh, Stribling definitely being one that, that I've been fond of watching, uh, you know, outside of the, the Oregon circle, just in Pac-12 play. Um, but with, with Ward, he's, he's not necessarily more of your traditional dual threat kind of guy. He doesn't necessarily excel running the ball, but that doesn't mean he can't hurt you with his legs. He's mobile and kind of more of that NFL kind of dialogue, right? He's able to, to sidestep defenders to, you know, ex- extend plays, get outside the pocket and, uh, you know, maybe make a little bit more of, of what's given to him than, than your, uh, you know, average quarterback. So I think that that speaks not only to his overall skill set, but also just his football IQ, his experience, his feel for the game. So uh, Oregon's definitely going to have to key in on him. And, and I feel like, you know, he's priority number one for, for Dan Lanning, Tosh Lapoy, and the rest of that defensive staff. Yeah, that was, that was an excellent breakdown there, Max. I, this, this guy, I mean – Cam, like you said, he he is mobile. He can move around, and and he kind of enjoys scrambling a little bit. I think it it heightens his uh, awareness a little bit, and and gets him keyed in downfield. And but like you said, you know he he's not a guy that's just going to sit there in the pocket and just get hit all day. He he definitely can move outside. He can pick up first downs with his legs. But like you said, he's not a dual threat guy. He's not a Lamar Jackson. He's not going to be you know, making guys miss with spin moves in open field or anything like that. But he's he's nimble. He can get around. And so I, I think that's something that Oregon's going to have to worry about. But the biggest thing that you mentioned was he likes to get the ball out early. They, they like throwing screens. They like throwing inside screens to some of their slot guys like Lincoln Victor and Renard Bell, who's been there for like eight years now. So these guys are, are vets. Uh, these wide receivers, they know what they're doing out there, and uh, Cam likes to get the balls in their hands as fast as he can and let them kind of make plays down the field. Yeah, and I think that Oregon has an opportunity. I think if you're not able to get pressure on Ward, you know, definitely want to try to get some hits on him early so it can, you know, kind of delay that process of him getting settled in and feeling comfortable. But the, the line has to get their hands up to try to bat some balls down. And then you mentioned those screens and those quick passes. I think that's where some of the football IQ for Oregon, some of the play recognition is going to have to come into play, uh, you know, trying to read the passes, maybe jump a couple passes. Don't let the linemen get their hands on you. You know how things go. Um, since we're talking QBs, we talked a lot about Bo Nix, but now that we're on Cameron Ward, I thought this was kind of an interesting question from my guy, Gerard. Gerard asks to both Andrew and Max, both QBs this Saturday have reps, reputations, for making both highlight and questionable plays. Do you think this game will come down to which QB makes fewer mistakes or more highlights? Uh, for me, that that question has a very simple answer, and it's who makes fewer mistakes. That's going to be the big thing that, that determines the outcome of this game. And that's something that Cam has struggled with through the first few weeks. You know, he, he had a big, you know, the, the game-winning touchdown pass to Nakia Watson in the in the Wisconsin game, people forget he threw an interception two plays before that, and Lincoln Victor made an outstanding play and jarred the ball free, and it was recovered by Washington State, which set up that touchdown. So Cam's been susceptible to, to turning the ball over, and I think it's whoever makes the fewest amount of mistakes is probably going to be the quarterback that comes out 
on top on Saturday. Obviously, we saw Bo in the Georgia game make some mistakes, but since then, he's been pretty consistent. He's had better judgment, uh, a lot fewer mistakes. He's been much more consistent. I think his QB rating has been almost perfect the last two weeks. So um, definitely whoever makes fewer mistakes, I think both of them will make some highlight plays that will show up on uh, the Pac-12 highlight show on Pac-12 Network uh, after the games are over on Saturday. But whoever makes the fewest amount of mistakes, I believe, is going to be the team that wins this game. Yeah, and I think, too, for for Oregon, you know, you have to feel comfortable with the skill talent that they have. I feel like when I think about this question along the lines of more highlights, it's like, you know, a quarterback playing hero ball. Like, they don't have that many options, so it's like if he doesn't have a good game, they're not going to be able to win. But I I feel inclined to agree um, with with the fewer mistakes side of of this question and answer uh, because – if they're able to take care of the ball, then it's, you know, you're, you're not creating more opportunities for your opponent. We saw, like you mentioned in that Georgia game, when they, tur- they had, they turned the ball over on back-to-back drives, which was already bad enough. But when you have an offense that's red hot and really experienced like Georgia's, they're going to make you pay and they're going to turn those points into the, the turnover into points. So I think for, for this one, especially when you're playing on the road, uh, I think that you, you can just do yourself a roll the favors, uh, if you can just take care of the ball and, and not shoot yourself in the foot. So that was, I was thinking about writing that as one of my keys to the game, but I think that's kind of coming off in my answer as, you know, kind of implied uh, you just don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Like we talked about with the environment, you don't want to have those false start penalties. Um, so I think that for this one, it's going to come down to who, who makes fewer mistakes and, and both of these quarterbacks, you know, ha- have some good experience playing college ball prior to this year. So uh, you think that it's fair to expect them to be able to take care of the rock. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned it in your keys to the game that the turn, whoever wins the turnover battle is likely going to win this game. You know, Oregon's defense has stepped up a little bit better the last two weeks and Washington state's defense. I'm very high on. I, I think they're an elite PAC 12 defense. They should finish the year in at least, I would say the top three defenses in the conference Um, I think both of these defenses are going to be well-prepared. And I think going against a quarterback in practice like Cam or for Oregon going against Bowen practice will help these defenses plan for their counterpart on Saturday because they're kind of similar. You know, maybe Bo makes more plays with his legs than Cam does, but at the same time, they have similar skill sets. They like getting the ball out early. They like, you know, moving around in the pocket a little bit. So, I think that'll help these defenses as well. And it's been a common thread today. I think whoever does win the turnover battle wins this game. Turnovers will simply kill you. And I think whoever is able to to hold on to the ball and not, you mentioned it, those negative plays, uh, penalties, turnovers, all that stuff that can contribute to a loss. I think whoever does the least amount of that will win this game. All right. Well, uh, anything else you wanted to add just on the topic of Cam Ward, you know, kind of the face of this Washington State defense or offense, excuse me, um, you know, before we kind of move on in the show? Well, I I mean, you kind of mentioned it, the familiarity he has with with Eric Morris coming from Incarnate Word. But I think Cam is still is still trying to, you know, get a little bit more consistency. Um, You know, we he 
these two turnovers a game that that WSU's offense has had the last two games, you know, that's that's not going to cut it uh, going into Pac-12 conference play. So I would like to see him be a little bit more consistent, have a little bit better judgment, uh, and and uh, make better decisions on Saturday. It's going to be tough against this Oregon defense, especially if Justin Flo is able to play. We don't know that yet. Um, but if he's able to get in there, um, Cam's decision-making is going to be a big part of this game and if WSU is going to be able to pull off the upset at home and hopefully get ranked uh, the following week. Yeah, no doubt that would be a big win for Washington State in, in their campaign to, to get some more respect nationally. Um, I can't help but uh, think that Coop fans are upset seeing, uh, seeing that USC is ranked as high as they are, but they haven't played anybody too crazy. Uh, I've been excited about Fresno State, but they just can't seem to finish drives, and USC's defense seems uh, pretty legit so far. So maybe not the uh, the perfect comparison there, uh, but you know another undefeated Pac-12 team. Pac-12 overall is, has been doing pretty great uh, through three weeks, uh, I think, in terms of just helping themselves out, winning some big games. Really wish that Utah would have been able to beat Florida. Um, but yeah, we kind of wanted just to open it up to some of these questions now, Andrew, some of these comments, see what's on the people's mind. Uh, while we still have you here on the show. Um, let's see. We have one here from Cameron. Cameron says, I feel like we're overselling this matchup. They may be FBS schools and one Wisconsin team that doesn't look like the Wisconsin of old. I predict that they beat them by 14. Your thought. Um, kind of seems like they're attacking the Cougs, but what, what do you make of this, Andrew? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's easy to to try and say, oh, we're overselling this matchup and WSU's defense isn't that good. And Oregon's looked so great the last two weeks. So they should go into Pullman and handle business. But I really, I really think this WSU defense is, is, is a force to be reckoned with. I know they only played Colorado State last week and I know they played Idaho and they're a big sky school and they don't get any respect and they only beat them by seven. But at the same time, you know, this is a team that was going through its own growing pains, just like Oregon was in week one, you know, trying to figure out a new offense. Uh, You know, there's a new defensive coordinator now that Jake Dickert is the head coach. He was the defensive coordinator under Nick Rolovich in his tenure at at Washington State. So I really think uh, this is going to be a really good matchup. You know, I, I. I don't think we're overselling it at all. I think Washington State should be ranked right now, um, and I think Oregon is pretty properly ranked where they are right now. Be, co- going from 25 to 15 was a big jump, but I think it's a deserved jump, especially with how good they've looked the last two weeks. But I certainly don't think we're overselling Washington State. This is a good football team, and this is a this is going to be a a real real test for Oregon in their first conference matchup of the season. And uh, I can't, I really, I can't wait to see this. And I don't think it'll be a, uh, a 14 point outcome. I think it'll be a a little bit closer than that. Yeah. And and I think that there's a little bit of, you know, the, the overselling on both sides, right. Um, You know, for, for Washington state, they beat kind of two, relatively easy opponents in Idaho and Colorado state, but then they make their case for why they should be ranked and should get some more respect beating a Wisconsin team that I think you think of as kind of one of those schools in the offensive line university categories, you know, the, the ground and pound teams that, that have produced the, the Jonathan Taylors, the Melvin Gordons. 
And I think that just kind of goes back to your point about how we just don't think about defense when we think about Washington State. And that seems like that's kind of where the conversation starts with this team uh, right now, at least in the 2022 season. But on Oregon's side of things, they're not perfect either. Uh, they got shredded in their opener, but I think just about anybody would have, been, except for like, like maybe three or four teams in the country. Um, but then you you beat up on an Eastern Washington team that maybe isn't as good as, as some people thought, even at the FCS level. We'll see how competitive they're going to be. That's a, a conversation I'm sure we'll have off air, Andrew, as you keep me up to date with uh, Eastern Washington. Um, but uh, defensively, they haven't been able to pressure the quarterback super effectively or consistently. Uh, and then on the back end, I feel like their secondary is still a pretty major question mark. They, they've just kind of been able to get some good plays and some good stops, which, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from them. But in the secondary, it feels like Christian Gonzalez is their main proven guy at corner right now. So they're still kind of having a mixture of uh, Jaleel Florence, the true freshman, Dante Manning, Triquez Bridges, to, who to his credit got an, uh, an interception against Eastern Washington. So I, I don't feel like we're, we're overhyping this game at all, especially the fact that it's on the road in Pullman. I think it'd be a very different discussion if this was at home for Oregon and Eugene at Autzen Stadium where they've won 21 straight games. But um, we'll get into our score prediction maybe a little bit later since we have about 10 minutes or so left. Uh, but I don't feel like it's getting overhyped right now. I think it's got it's got just the right amount of hype. Uh, I'm glad that it's not late. Oregon kicks off at eight next week against Stanford. So going to have to stay up all night for that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but I think this one has just the right amount of hype. And uh, man, what a game for, for both teams to start Pac-12 play. Yeah, this, this really is a big game. And it's going to determine a lot down the line for both of these teams. I mean, if Washington State's able to pull off this upset, uh, that will only skyrocket this team in, into the top of the Pac-12. Uh, you know, they've got a kind of an easier matchup next week against Cal. So you're looking at the possibility of starting off 5-0. and And the last time they did that was with Gardner Minshew uh, in charge down here. And uh, we all remember how crazy that year was and, you know, making it all the way to the Alamo Bowl and, and getting the victory there. But, you know, this game, it, it truly does mean a lot for both teams. Oregon will probably, if with a win, would probably move up to the top 10 if, if we keep continue seeing uh, the losses and, and the crazy play that's happening in college football uh, this week. So I think it, it's a big game for both teams, and I, I really don't think we're underselling it. I, I think uh, I think they're pretty evenly matched. I think it'll be a good physical football game, and I'm excited to see how, how it turns out on Saturday. Brian says, I'm impressed with the command of the offense with Bo. The team just looks confident when he is running things. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a, a point I would definitely agree with as far as just how Oregon's offense has looked. Um, I think going into this season, I thought there was going to be more confidence maybe on the defense uh, defensive side of the ball for Oregon because they had so many returners there. With, with the offense, it was really just mainly the, the offensive line that had a ton of returning depth. Um, so that's why I think a lot of people are clamoring over, you know, no offensive linemen yet in the 23 class. Um, but I think Oregon's offense has definitely developed into the strong suit of this team. Uh, you know, Bo should be looking like he's in command of the offense. I think with how much football that guy has played and then his familiarity with Kenny Dillingham, the offensive line that he has, the, the offensive weapons that he has. I think that, uh, you know, Oregon's offense is, is finally looking like it's hitting stride, which goes back to one of my earlier points. So, uh, I think that, uh, you know, 
it's 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 finally working how it's supposed to i think which is a, is a refreshing thing if you're a duck fan yeah well i i actually had a question about this because it seems like in most of bo's big games when he was at auburn when they won like the iron bowl and a couple of these other games where oregon pulled off upsets all those games were at home and i mean yeah, they beat Oregon in a neutral game when he hit Seth Williams there with 20 seconds ago. Sorry to bring that up, Ducks fans, but it happened, you know. So, uh, you know, Bo on the road, is that is that a concern for you heading into this week, Max? Uh, I don't think so, but like, it, it, I wouldn't say it's a concern right now, but if, if he doesn't have a great game or doesn't have a good game, you know, maybe it looks sloppy, then it could develop into a concern down the road. Because uh, Oregon's already played a road game this year, technically, if you're talking about that game in Atlanta. Um, but that's why I'm looking to see, you know, does he show up on the road? How does he look with with this new group? What what does the chemistry look like? How is his decision making? Like, there's still a lot of questions, or a fair amount of questions. I maybe shouldn't say a lot that Oregon is still looking to answer right now. I think there's more questions on the defensive side of the ball than the offense, but that is a big question right now for for Oregon and, and their offense is. What do they look like on the road? Because uh, it's a hostile environment. I don't want to, you know, beat that point to death. But um, Oregon hasn't been a great road team historically, or maybe just in these past couple of years. So still remains to be seen. I feel like. Yeah, and I mean, considering we only have one game to go off of, uh, this is this is going to be a big test to just see how they respond. Uh, second road game of the year for Oregon. You know, they've looked marvelous at home over the last two weeks, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how they fare on Saturday. And and like you said, a hostile environment and and another road game. And I'm anxious to see how Bo performs uh, in a true road game uh, for the first time in in a true road game, not neutral site. I know it was down at Georgia for that game, but uh, should be interesting to see for the first time at Oregon, how he fares in a, in a PAC 12 game. Yeah, and that's why I want to see how Oregon's able to run the ball because I think that'll dictate how much they really need to lean on Bo and is this, uh, you know, uh, uh, 20 to 25 passes type of game for Bo or do they maybe push him a little bit more and, you know, maybe up that 30, 35, maybe even 40. I don't know. Um, You know, you talked about how young that secondary was for Washington State, so maybe they feel like they have a guy they can pick on. Uh, maybe they feel like they have a good handle on Ron Stone and, and Brennan Jackson rushing the passer. Um, so it, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see what they're able to do and kind of what the the offensive tempo is in this one. I uh, got about five minutes left, so if you guys have any more questions, definitely throw them our way. Uh, we have one from Dre Jarquin who asks, "Do you think we will see more dollars and seven on the field?" That's a good question because I think some people thought that seven was hurt because we saw so little of him last week against BYU. Uh, but, but Lanning was saying how it was kind of a situational deal, a personnel deal, how they just didn't necessarily uh, involve him too much. Um, I think I could see, uh, seeing more of, of Sean dollars, if, especially if Brian, if Byron Carbwell isn't able to go in this one. Um, but uh, it seems like that running back picture is getting a little bit clearer even though they're still rotating a lot of backs, a lot of touches uh, being distributed in that uh, Oregon backfield, um, you know, with, with Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. And then Jordan James seems like he's kind of carved out his role as, you know, that third down guy. He got some fourth down carries last week uh, when Oregon was kind of, uh, you know, rolling the dice going for it on the, some of those big plays. So he's, he's pretty big for a freshman uh, Jordan James that is. So 
Uh, kind of remains to be seen how much of a role Sean Dollars will have, and I think that part of that's going to be contingent on if Carwell is able to go just with the way that the rotation's kind of shaken out so far. Yeah, and obviously uh, as a San Diego boy, you know, Byron Carwell started his uh, high school career at my high school, St. Augustine, down there in San Diego. Shout out to the boys. Um, so obviously I'd like to see Byron play on Saturday, uh, but I think you're right. And another thing, when when I was going through the box scores, you know, these receivers aren't getting a ton of touches. They're kind of spreading them out to everyone. So I'd like to see Seven McGee get more involved. I'd like to see Chase Cota get more involved. You know, this is a guy they brought in from UCLA. It was supposed to be a big play wide receiver for them. And he's only getting two, three receptions a game. So I'd like to see both those guys get, get more involved in the offense. But I mean, we, we've seen Terrence the last two weeks, uh, especially in the red zone. He's been a force to be reckoned with, and WSU is going to have to spotlight him on Saturday. Yeah, and for seven, I think it's just finding the right times to get him involved because he, he as, as happy as I was that Bo Nix was taking that shot down the field in the Georgia game, I don't think that seven McGee is necessarily the right guy to be doing that too. You know, maybe you feel a little bit better throwing it to a guy. If it's like a 50-50 ball, throwing it to like a Troy Franklin, a Chase Coda, Dante Thornton even – those guys that have uh, you know a little bit better of an advantage in terms of uh, of the frame, um, so we'll have to see if those guys get utilized. I want to see more of both of those guys, but at the same time, it's like you know you have so many guys, it's just it's hard to get uh, the ball distributed as much as you necessarily want it to. You know, everyone can't necessarily eat. Um, got another question here: more tackles, Noah Sewell or Ron Stone in this game? I think Noah Sewell, it's been an interesting story so far. I'm not saying he's had a, uh, you know, a, a, a bad season by any means, but for a guy that has led the Ducks in tackling in each of the past two years, it feels like it's been kind of surprisingly quiet. Only has seven total tackles so far uh, in, in on the season, uh, three against Georgia and then a pair against Eastern Washington and BYU. He, he's someone who's kind of developed a reputation as just always being around the ball. Uh, so it's been kind of surprising that he hasn't been uh, a little bit more active there um, but maybe you can take a, I feel like I would go with Noah Sewell, but I don't know how, like from a production standpoint, how many tackles Ron Stone is is necessarily producing there as an edge rusher. Yeah. I mean, if it's between those two, it's definitely going to be Noah Sewell. Uh, if it's between Noah Sewell and Dayon Henley, I would 100% say Dayon Henley is going to have more tackles on Saturday. Um, obviously I've been very impressed with Noah ever since he stepped foot uh, on campus there in Eugene. I think he's a very fine player, um, uh, but Ron is Ron as an edge rusher doesn't get too many tackles. You know he'll get a couple tackles for for loss and he'll track down a running back every now and then. But the real tacklers for this team are the three linebackers: Travion Brown, uh, Francisco Maligoa, and and Dayon Henley. And uh, if it's between Henley and Sewell, I, I, I got to go with Dayon. He's he's been just the biggest bright spot of this entire WSU season so far has, has been Dayon Henley and uh, just been super impressed with him and looking forward to another big game out of him on Saturday. Yeah. So maybe that's a, a little bit better of a matchup from a statistical question here. Um, so we adjust. Um, yeah. But I mean, Dayon Henley through three games, eight tackles, nine tackles, 13 tackles, three of those 13 tackles were sacks against Colorado state. So it's going to be fun to see how, uh, how Oregon's able to scheme up uh, him from an offensive standpoint. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I just noticed this comment right here that none of Wazoo's sacks are coming off the edge. That's very true. And the problem is everyone's paying so much attention to these two edge rushers that Dayon is able to come free right up the middle. So I'm sure that's something Oregon's seen on film and they're gonna they're gonna scheme and game plan for it. Um, but you can't pay all the attention to to BJ and RJ anymore because Dayon has four sacks, he has a forced fumble. He had that pick against Idaho. So that's a really great point right there. But it starts with those edge rushers and maybe getting a double team and then you're left with a free rusher. So I'm sure Oregon is seeing this on film. I'm sure they're going to have a way to try and stop it. Obviously, they've got bigger and, and, and stronger O-linemen than Idaho and Colorado State. But from what we saw against Wisconsin, you know, it wasn't uh, – it wasn't the greatest game for, for WSU for putting pressure on the quarterback, uh, but it's something they're going to have to do this Saturday if, if they want to get an upset uh, down in Pullman. All right. Well, thank you guys for, for all the questions and comments. Love getting those and engaging with you. Uh, Andrew, before we get out of here, where can people find more of you, you know, social media, websites that want to give you a chance to just plug all your stuff? Yeah, so working for Creme 2 up here in Spokane, uh, you can check us out on creme.com and then follow me at Andrew Quinney on Twitter. Uh, like I said, I'll be following all three teams uh, in our area with Idaho Eastern and Washington State throughout the season. Uh, so follow me on Twitter or, you know, drop, drop a like on, on my tweets every now and then. And uh, yeah, like I said, really, really looking forward to this game. Super excited to, to see what happens and uh, go Cougs. Let's see what happens. All right, well, make sure you guys tap in with Andrew, a good buddy of mine, fellow Zag, and a former colleague at Krem, too, uh, you know, when I was there my senior year. So always got mad love for Krem and uh, love being able to do these shows with Andrew when, uh, you know, the teams align. But if you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter, at mtorussports, and you can also find my written work, which uh, includes a heavy recruiting focus over on ducksdigest.com. Got some cool updates up there recently with modern-day linebacker Leviticus Sua, who said he's considering an official visit to Oregon. Ducks definitely have a need at linebacker, so go check that one out for some more recruiting coverage. And if you guys are here live on YouTube, do me a favor, like the video and smash that subscribe button. And then if you want to support the show, the best way you can do that is by sharing the Ducks Dish podcast as we grow the show, grow the community here, always have an awesome time, but... Until the next time we talk to you, which will wait, probably wait, be- score prediction. I got to oh, hear the shoot. score prediction. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. You're Let's right. Let's hear right. it right now. I'm putting you on the spot okay. just like I did last time. Okay. Hold on. Uh, I had my, I had my, I got to look at what I wrote on my site because I can't switch it up. <laughs> um, dang it. Wow. I totally botched that. Um, all right. We're still here. We're still here. Uh, okay. So I wrote 45 31. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to defend that and and stick by it. I think Oregon's offense is is just really operating. If they can run the ball, I think they're gonna be able to to run up the score on this one. Um, but uh, due to the pass rushing not necessarily being there and some question marks in the secondary, I think I, I definitely that's why I'm spotting WSU some points. I, I like it. I'm I'm kind of in between too. I'm kind of in between 31-20 Oregon because I think Cam's gonna make some mistakes that gets him bit. And 27-24 Washington State, just because I think the crowd and, and that environment could be something for Bo to have to deal with. So since I'm since I'm out here in the Northwest, I'm going to go 27-24 Washington State. 
for a big upset, get them ranked, and uh, hopefully be able to follow a ranked team the rest of the season. But uh, should be a great matchup on Saturday. Right on. Well, well, thanks for for catching me there with the predictions. That's always <laughs> something we like to to get to. Uh, and you can see our full score predictions over on DucksDigest.com. Uh, but uh, I already did all of the the plugging and everything. So just wanted to ask you guys to share the show. And thank you so much for tuning in and stopping by, whether it's on YouTube in the live chat or on replay or on podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Ducks Digest, Ducks Dish podcast. And we will see you guys in the next episode.